Michael Russell Bus, behind the 44 Gates Avenue, I have 750 Gates Avenue. Hey, it's Pete and Julie from Rush the Bus, and we have James. And James is from Detroit EMS, and he's retired a few years ago. So he's been out of the game for a little bit. And um, pretty interesting guy. I talked to him last night. Julie missed it. She was enjoying a bottle of wine or Good two. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got to uh, talk to James I last night. I can't say I was enjoying a few drinks myself when I was talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Right. Days right. off. You got to take advantage. There you go. Oh. So James, thanks for coming to talk to us. Hey, no yeah. like that. So, you know, you what's that? Jim. You okay. Yeah. My first dad year. is Jim, and I I only knew him as Jim. I think I was like eight years old before I learned that his name was actually James. You know. <laughs> I, never, I never really much liked James, and uh, my uh, better half, my girlfriend, long you know, for. We've been together forever. She insists on calling me James, and it just really? it, it used to annoy me, and I got used to it. But she's yeah. the, the only one who calls me that. So wow. Okay. And oddly enough, our son likes to be called James, even though I call him Jamie. So oh, but, okay. So. Yeah. Weird, but uh -huh. I'll answer to anything really. But hey, you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> <Hey> you. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Jim. Um, I, uh, you talking about just the job wise? Yeah, whatever, or just, man. Like, you know, your family life, stuff like that. Uh, oh, like, we, like I said before, we started this. Yeah, I've come from a small family. Um, uh, originally from Detroit, we uh, were transplanted to uh, suburbs, Dearborn, uh, when I was pretty young and uh, went through high school in Dearborn. And once I uh, graduated high school, uh, like most kids do, I kind of got, I was rebellious and ended up out on my own and back in Detroit and uh, probably since 1983. And uh, yeah, I spent a few years kicking around and, and finally uh, found myself in EMS and I uh, started uh, Detroit EMS in, uh, what is it, November, no, October, nine, was it 10? Yeah, October 29th, 1990 was my hire date. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I retired in uh, 2000, late 2015. And uh, I stayed in the field doing, uh, uh, working for private ambulance companies, actually mainly one, but it changed names several times. I worked for a company uh, called DM Care Express. And uh, I, I joined that company because they did special events for all the, for all the, uh, uh, sports teams, Tigers, Red Wings, hmm. and oh, uh, they do the Pistons well. And uh, once I retired from from Detroit, I stuck with that. And uh, you know, I not it's definitely nowhere near the same uh, uh, chaos. It's hmm. uh, definitely a different direction from EMS, but still managed to help out here and there. Do whatever I can. So when you came on, so how, what was the process when you got hired in 1990? You said it took a little while. And yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the application process went on for a while. I had, uh, I worked in a hotel and had friends that were, had friends that were involved in EMS. Yeah. They told me, you know, where to go, how to go about it, you know, city, county building, go put your application in. And uh, the process was long because they were like, once you did the testing, 
um, you know, they put you on this list and I guess, depending on how well you test it out uh, during the, for the testing, um, that's where you ended up, you know, high on the list or low on the list. And every time I would call, they would tell me, oh, you're like, you know, number 10 on the list. And then I'd talk to other people who applied and they, yeah, I'm number 10 too. It's like, well, how many? Number 10 so yeah, you know, I just, I was constantly calling down there and I'm quite sure after a while they're like, God damn, we're tired of this guy, you know, either hire him or, or just, you know, tell him we're not interested or whatever. So it took a good uh, six to eight months, I think, before oh, I, uh, wow. yeah. And uh, then it was, of course, the physical agility test. Um, I had taken that, uh, shoot, I think I was halfway done with my EMT program. And they're like, um, you don't have the license yet? And I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I intend on having it. And, you know, so I'm surprised they were reluctant, but they allowed me to yeah. go on the, uh, the testing. So, you know, uh, believe me, when I found out that I was getting hired, I was, you know, I was on cloud nine. Yeah. And um, then, you know, once you get hired on, you have to go through an academy process, which I'm quite sure it's much like what you guys had to go through. Yeah. Uh, which usually was like 12 weeks. And mind you, this is after I already had the license. And, uh, and you, you initially you think it's kind of redundant. It's like, why am I going through all this? I already went yeah. through this, you know, going through the EMT program. But it's in the time before I got hired on to the city, I got on with a, a private ambulance company and you really didn't do things, you know, we yeah. didn't. Anyway. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of hospital transfers and stuff, you know, but it wasn't unless you were doing the, you know, the 911 stuff, you re really weren't getting the experience. Yeah. So uh, once I got into the academy and it's like initially, like I said, I was, this is kind of redundant, but then you start learning things you know, how to do it, you know, the, uh, the, the EMS way, you know, the, for a municipality and actually getting out there and, you know, getting your hands dirty. Yeah. yeah it was, uh, yeah, it was quite an experience. Some what days. Do you remember from the Academy that was different from when you were in training, like what kind of stuff was there anything uh, like, wow, this is just the, the physical aspect, really just, uh, uh, doing a lot of lifting, uh, scenarios where you're carrying, uh, you know, the heaviest guys in the class, of course, me and, uh, one of my uh, classmates, he passed away last year, unfortunately. Um, we were the heaviest guys in the class, so we were always the ones getting carried up and down the stairs. And it was scary because, you know, there was some smaller people that were yeah. carrying. But uh, between that and some of the, uh, you know, some of the different physical uh, physical stuff was pretty strenuous. And, you know, carrying people through a park having to go up over top of, uh, you know, like picnic benches and they'd create stuff to make it as difficult as possible. And, uh, it was, it was, it was tough, but it was fun. Yeah. Was, I will tell you that that's a lot more work than we did in our Academy. Really? Yes. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, I don't it's know. Funny. I mean, I didn't do any of that. Really? Was, oh. We had a different, like, I think what they do currently compared to what they did when I came on in 2006 is a little different anyway, but we did a lot of carrying, um, even in my EMT class, we did a lot of carrying, but also the person who did my EMT class was an instructor at, um, you know, the department. Mm -hmm. So, but those are the things that you kind of need to know. Like you don't realize, especially if you're doing transport EMS, which a lot of us do when we first become EMTs, oh, yeah. is that, you know, you can't bring a stretcher into every single situation and you can't just like take an old lady to dialysis you're gonna like be carrying people who might weigh 275 pounds down five flights of stairs you know and they're very yeah. sick so yeah. that's important you know you do need that stuff like those yeah. are important yeah. things to do 
And you know, it's funny you should mention that because there was always this running joke when you hear, uh, like say if you go for uh, recertification for ACLS or for you know, your CPR card or whatever, you'd be, you'd be in the room with people from different agencies and it was always kind of a running joke that they talked about EMS. Oh, EMS never carries anybody, you know. EMS, they, they <laughs> let them up. Wow. Patients, you know, let their chest pain patients walk. And it's like, yeah, yeah, what you're talking about is like, you know, we don't know what we're doing. But the thing is, when you know who's really has a cardiac issue and who's just, you know, having some, yes. pain, you know, uh, muscular pain or, or whatever the case may be, you know, you know when they need to be carried and when they don't, they don't need to be carried. And the amount of runs we do in a year, a month, a day, you know, you try to, you try to pick those people and, and, and just, you know, you have to know who needs to be carried, who needs to be, you know, pampered in a lot of ways, yeah. who needs, who yeah. needs the most work, who needs the most care and attention. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, I, yeah, I think, you know, like, no, I, I was going to say like folks sometimes are expecting one thing and, you know, a couple of years back I had a, 22 year old with like flu-like symptoms and she lives on a fourth story you know walk up and mm -hmm. her friends were really nasty like oh you're gonna make her walk right and, you know and in my mind I'm thinking like at that time I was probably like 30 something you know and I'm like yeah like you know I mean like not to be a jerk like but if you're 22 and you have the flu it sucks I'm sure you obviously don't feel well but like you can definitely make it down four flights of stairs but like you know the 75 year old woman who's having chest pain or a guy who seems like he's having a stroke, like I'm not gonna make him walk, clearly. Yeah. You know, no. but if you're 22 years old, let's go. You know what I mean? Like you can get on your feet and let's go. Like it's. And then we, you know, I got into a lot of issues, uh, you know, arguments or confrontations because of stuff like that. And, you know, I'm sorry, it's not that I'm trying to be, you know, cold, callous or uncaring. It's just that I have to think about my own physical safety. Of and course. Yeah, and, and to have course. to do you had to carry everybody on every run you'd have a short career yeah yeah, yeah. and you know what you you go into these situations and just like you're saying a young person with chest pain or you know cold like symptoms flu-like symptoms for so long and they're complaining about their chest hurting and then they're like oh i can't walk and then you look around the room or around the house you're like well i don't see piles of crap anywhere and you don't look yeah. like a diaper or your pants are soiled so you had to be getting around somehow yeah, yeah, you definitely got to your bathroom and you definitely got in the shower and mm -hmm. definitely made your way around your apartment well enough. I mean, yeah. it's and it's not about being lazy. It's about being a realist. I mean, you're not yeah. going to do this career for 25, 30 years if you carry literally every single person, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. like you're carrying them downstairs. I mean, because the reality is we're human beings also. We're not robots. We're not, mm -hmm. you know, like this doesn't yep. we don't suddenly have super strength where we can carry every single patient we see during the day you know yeah. if you get old enough you just bend over and shit pops <laughs> i know yeah that was bad yeah. and stuff pops you know i just i've had the issues like that where i i'm sneezing like pull a back muscle it's like oh my <laughs> I know. that one you know yeah, yeah. Like, that was bad like we had a seizure job and i just bent over and it was so loud and we we're in a shelter it was so loud, like they thought the guy hit his head. And yeah, yeah, that was that was unfortunate. I think that that week though, we had a lot of carry downs. We had a lot of patients who required like us to actually pick them up. And that specific incident with Peter, unfortunately, 
was, yeah, like he kind of just bent over. I mean, the guy had had a seizure on the ground. We were just going to try to pick him up, put him on our chair and get out of there. And that was it. That's all it took was him to lean forward. The, the snap that you heard was so loud that the folks at the shelter were like, yo, what's, what was that? And it was like, that's his back you know and he couldn't he couldn't even stand upright we had to like call another ambulance to come and like take our patient because we had to take him to the hospital like he was messed up from that you know and i mean this is you know he's not like an old man but like he's uh you know you you do this job for 20 years like you're gonna have some issues you know like it is what it is i've had i've had one knee replaced uh, just last uh last fall i had my right knee replaced because it was completely worn out Mm -hmm. and I'm about 80% recuperated from that and still dealing with the left knee that needs to be replaced. So, yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah. One time. Yeah. Start feeling that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, when people talk about that, oh, you don't carry everybody, you know, it's like, like you said, be realistic about this. You know, it's, Absolutely. it's not scary. Yeah. Somebody was just telling us, somebody was just telling us that they took the bench sheet or the squad, I don't know what you guys call it, the, the bench sheet. Out mm-hmm. of the ambulance, and there's no more bench seat in their ambulances. So what, what does that mean? Everybody goes on the stretcher? I guess we'll find out when we talk to her. I think that's the craziest thing in the world. Oh yeah. I just I don't. I mean, it's one thing if everything you've got is like powered. You have a power stretcher, power chair, whatever. But like that's just it's absurd. You know, like we don't. First of all, and I and. You know, people use ambulances for various reasons. There's a lot of folks who don't have private doctors and, you know, their health gets to that point where like this could very well have been taken care of at a, an urgent care or a private doctor visit and they don't have that. But, you know, someone who neglected to refill their medications for a week, that person doesn't need a stretcher. You know, maybe they do. I mean, maybe if they it's a it's a possibility depending on what has happened because they didn't refill their meds or you know if you haven't been to dialysis for three days straight or whatever and maybe you're filling up with fluid I get it but um something that would otherwise require a cab ride is not to me something that requires me as a another human being to carry you you know like it's yeah but that's just crazy talk you know, I know, I know. Mm-hmm. You, when you started, did you have the two man stretchers? Pardon? Did you have two man stretchers when you started? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Got down on the side, squatted down, you know, you dropped it down and squatted and picked it back up. Yeah, I did that. Um, Detroit had those for I can't even remember when we actually got the pneumatic stretchers, um, probably mid 2000s, late 2000s, remember. But yeah, we had those those types of stretchers where you squatted down and had to pick that up, man. Mm. And you struggled. Sometimes yeah. you struggled. But you know, you, you didn't, you didn't I, hurt I, I you, you definitely got a good workout. You sure so. did. Like, I, I do feel like I was in great shape at the time, but I also yeah. was in my 20s, you know? So like, of course I was strong at the time and like, it was not bad, but I had two female partners. So like, you know, we, the three of us basically had to like make it work for ourselves. So I had this like perpetual bruise on my thigh because we would kind of lift the stretcher and then have to like lean it on our legs to kind of get around it so we could put it in. So it was like a two, you know, a two lift job. Like you didn't just pick it up and put it in. Like it sort of had to rest somewhere before that. 
it's, um, it's figure things out you figure out what's the best and safest way to do it and, yeah. and you go with it. yeah yeah it's kind of what the ems is all about though you improvise everything's improvisation you know yeah there's no right way you know and then yeah. like, we still have we don't have pow any power stretchers and people are like i can't believe you don't have power stretchers and stuff like that and track stair chairs and i'm like it you know i was amazed when they came out i was like yeah What's yeah. this coming to? What's this world coming to? Like nobody's gonna be able to lift anymore. Now I'm like, yeah, I want a power stretcher. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like I've seen them, I was like, I want a power stretcher. There, there's those times where you actually have to lift the power stretcher to take it in the house. You know, because yeah. there are situations where you can get it in the house, whether it's somebody already has a uh, one of those wheelchair uh, porches and the ramps. You know that uh, that accommodate wheelchairs. It's like, well, if it can accommodate a wheelchair, it can definitely accommodate a stretcher. Yeah. So we bring it in and, you know, there's some various times where we had to carry the, those power stretchers and I don't know how much extra weight that is, but it's considerable. Yeah. It's definitely considerable. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Gotta, I mean, it's got a motor and stuff, you know, battery or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. We we're talking about uh, making things work and, and, and I, and I always believed that uh, Detroit, I would always say, you know, Detroit EMS, you know, it's not that we're great. It's just that we're great at improv. You know, you, you figure things out and you get it done to the best of your ability. It isn't necessarily always pretty and it isn't necessarily always high tech, but you get it done. So, yeah, I think you guys definitely are the kings of improv. Uh, yeah. So when it comes to working with nothing, and you, oh, guys, that you guys definitely make it happen. So, yep. you know, Absolutely. there's, there's a lot to be learned from you guys. Cause you know, you guys do a pretty crazy call volume, you know, with, with no units and, and some crazy yeah. stuff going on. So yeah. I, uh, recently I seen some of the statistics that, um, for the last year or this year, I should say for EMS, especially with, you know, COVID-19 and the run volume on a daily basis. And most of our, our busiest days of the year would be like New Year's, New Year's Eve. Um, and we would, we would average 500 runs a night. Oh, and wow. regular night, we might average, in my time, was like three to 400 runs a day. Okay. And more, it's busier in the summertime. But with, with COVID-19, they were averaging having average days just like it was you know a perpetual new year's eve you know every day yeah. was new doing four and five hundred runs that wears on you that stuff yeah. really yep yep absolutely i, I mean i i think for us we had a there was a couple of weeks and luckily it has sort of tapered down but um for us you know our normal runs might be 3500 to like i don't know 4200 or something and on like Fourth of July or New Year's Eve, you get maybe like five thousand runs, um, yeah. and I think we were there was like two weeks where we we're averaging like sixty five hundred. It was, there was like a seventy two day in there too. Seventy two hundred mm -hmm. jobs. It was just nonstop, and we didn't have the units to deal with that. It was like when COVID sort of first kind of hit, and like people were very very ill. That was like the first mm -hmm. wave of people yeah. that kind of died of covid and also anyone who had covid or any symptoms w were terrified and so they oh yeah one, you know so like that has thankfully slowed down but um but yeah i feel like these are the kind of things that you know you try to make it work with what you have and and that's why we ended up getting mutual aid in new york city I'm mm -hmm. not sure what's going on in detroit right now but um i mean they have 
they have contracts uh, uh, with, uh, I think it's three or four different private ambulance companies. And I, at this time, I, I'm kind of out of touch with it now since yeah. I'm not road and, and don't work with, uh, with, with Detroit anymore. But uh, yeah, we always had extra help. And it's like I was telling Peter last night, there was a time when we were down to five units citywide. Oh my gosh. I, the administration <laughs> and the city, you know, they just, they dropped the ball on getting new trucks and, and, and keeping our trucks up and running. Yeah. So down to five units. And at the time you'd have four and five guys, people working on one truck just because you wow. had so many, so many people that had no trucks. So either you're going to go home and use your, your time off or you're going to, you know, be piling in a, in one ambulance. And uh, okay, you'd be, you'd, you'd come in at seven o'clock and you wouldn't leave until nine o'clock some days, you know, and, and you know, it was nonstop and it's just, wow. just ever going to end. Yeah. And thankfully, uh, some of the uh, uh, bigger, more, uh, or the richer people, <laughs> richer people in the in the city, those who are really influential. Uh, let's see, who do we have? Ah, I can't even think of their Hold names on, off. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, I, I, all I remember is Kwame Kilpatrick, Mayor Duggan, and yeah. um, um, damn, what was that guy's name? Funny, I'm. I'm drawing a blank on a lot of these guys' names. Dan Gilbert. Dan Gilbert. He okay. uh, owned a lot of stuff in Detroit. The Illich family and some of the more affluent. Oh, Coleman uh, Young. So, Coleman yeah. Way back. That was when I first started EMS, yeah. yeah. Um, but they all got together and, and donated money and donated trucks. Mm. So we'll get trucks from, you know, a lot of, a lot of different companies that uh, just, mm. you know, were a big part of the city. And uh, they seem to be doing a lot better job at, at keeping up with uh, the demand for new trucks and equipment. Um, I'm not sure who's responsible for it, but I wish they were around when, we, when I first started. Yeah. yeah. So um, when you first came out, like, what was it like in 1990? You know, you came out and, you know, I know uh, Detroit split up into four sections and you went where? Uh, <laughs> when I first came on, you had, it was, most of the guys were old timers and, uh, uh, they they were all Vietnam veterans, mm -hmm. and it was a little difficult fitting in because you know you're trying to you know trying to prove yourself to be qualified, and uh, and some of them guys weren't necessarily you know very warm and empathetic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was tough. I mean, and the thing is, you'd you'd be citywide. You go from one end of the city to the other one run after the other you could i mean just bounce back and forth it did yeah. you know you had a you had a, a specific geographical uh area that you covered depending on what firehouse you worked out of but once it went up once it was off the hook you just had no choice you were just going everywhere and, mm. um i mean it helped me to learn the city like i was telling peter last night i got to know the city pretty well to where i didn't need a map or any kind of guidance i i, I could get anywhere and uh you know, you you have an MDT in your your ambulance, and it would give you the the run location with two streets, two cross streets, mm -hmm. and just by the sheer numbers that you know of runs that you'd respond to, you know, it's that eidetic memory, you know, that kicks in. You know, you're 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 doing it over and over and over again. You get to know those streets pretty well, yeah. and uh, oh yeah, well, like I said, in any at any given time, you could be at one end of the city, on the northwest side. And the very next run you do, you know, is all the way to the northeast side or 
Southwest side. It just, it was, there's no rhyme or reason. You know, we didn't have the units to cover. So it was, you know, they did whatever they had to do to get you, uh, get people, get people help. So. And I know, you know, we spoke with Kelly a little bit about that, but I mean, at the time, I'm assuming people called an ambulance and then unfortunately had to wait for quite a while sometimes. I mean, were you experiencing a lot of anger, you know, like when you got to these jobs and so there were people who were pretty annoyed that you guys uh, took a yeah, while. Yeah, 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 you, uh, you'd come across that quite often. And it, it was no secret, people, people knew, you know, there was always stories on the news about it, you know, and uh, they would, uh, they would try, there was, um, there was a couple different um, commercials that they put on, on TV, you know, try to educate the public as to, you know, what's an emergency, what's not an emergency. Mm. And, and uh, it, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not people are, are, are knowledgeable of these facts. They call when they feel they need you. And, you know, it doesn't matter if, if you feel it's an emergency to them, it's an emergency. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of times you had to be pretty diplomatic on a scene trying to smooth things over, you know, because you'd be outnumbered <laughs> for mm -hmm. one. And uh, yeah, you wanted to be able to go home that next, you know, after your 12 hour shift. You didn't want to have to, uh, you know, leave the hospital rather than leaving your, uh, you know, the firehouse. Yeah. So, oh yeah, it was, it's, it was tough. And, you know, it makes, it makes you angry because you, you feel like you don't, you shouldn't have to be the one you know, to tell people what's going on, you know, you shouldn't have to be the one to smooth things over, you know, because, because their loved one needs help or, you know, is dying or having trouble breathing or whatever the case may be, you know, they don't want to hear excuses. They want you to do your job. Simple as that. Of course. Yeah. I, I do think that is, that's something that across the board and, and like certainly in our higher volume weeks, like people don't want excuses as to why it took you a while to get there. I mean, because we were doing jobs from our neighborhood in one of the five boroughs. We work in Brooklyn and we were getting jobs all the way out in, you know, the far end of Queens, like near Long Island. It's not even part of New York City anymore. And, you know, you get there when you can get there and you're, you're doing your best. And luckily there wasn't a lot of traffic because people are quarantined. But like no you know, traffic. We would yeah, have never people, made that. People don't want you to come there with excuses. They just want you to take care of the situation. Mm -hmm. And they're angry at that point. You know, they're oh, upset. And it sucks because, like, it's not anything that you personally are doing wrong. Like, you did your best. You got this job and you started on your way. You didn't dilly-dally. You didn't, like, stop and get something to eat on the way over. You just kind of went and did your job. But it's the fact that folks have been waiting at this point maybe for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Maybe they called five times, you know. And right. so now you're trying to do patient care and sort of like be this diplomatic person in the middle of like, you know, a family situation where people are not too happy with you. And, and, and God forbid you tell them you can't go to the hospital that they want you to go to. Oh gosh. Yeah. All riled, they're already riled up, whether it's your fault or not, they're riled up. And uh, now you're telling them some other bad news that they're not really interested in hearing. Yeah. That's, it can be scary, <laughs> scary moments. How often yeah. did that happen to you guys? You know, like where people were, were super pissed off, you know, that it took you forever, you know, and then you didn't take them where they wanted to go. Oh, it happened quite often, you know, because regardless of how angry they are, I mean, unless you were in imminent danger, you know, and whether it's just, you know, them, them vocalizing that they, you know, their, their displeasure with the service so far, you know, if, if it wasn't in a situation where you were in physical danger, yeah, you, you'd have some people that are wanting to call and complain on you, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, 
well, you know, and even if it's, even if you had a valid reason for taking so long and, and, uh, you know, even though they're pissed off, you have to answer to the complaint. And that would always, you know, that, that was always kind of something that, um, uh, left a bad taste in my mouth as well. It's like, well, wait a minute, you know what we're going through. The city yeah. knows shorthanded the city knows we don't have enough units and the city knows that our response times are bad why am i having to answer to this complaint when it's just a generalized complaint that oh they took too long to get there you know the the powers that be can look back at, at the run and uh, the dispatch ticket and you know see where you're responding from and how long it took you to get there and you know they can do the math themselves but instead of that being the case you have to actually, you know, you get a, a formal complaint and you have to write a formal, you know, response to that complaint. So that was, yeah, stuff that leaves, uh, you know, leaves you a little bitter. So, of course, you know. Yeah. Would yeah, they, it, it would take days from you guys or, you know, write you guys up? Uh, you know, if they found that you were negligent, I mean, to the point where they would scrutinize, well, what route did you take to get there? You know, how did, where did you come from? And, you know, what freeway did you go? Or, you know, yeah. take the, the, the surface streets or the freeway. Yeah, they could, they could uh, you know, they could write you up and you could get a suspension depending, you know, depending on how belligerent, not belligerent I'm sorry, not belligerent, how uh, uh, negligent you were, you know, mm. say you, say you responded, no lights and no sirens. And it took you a half hour to get to a run that was two miles away. <laughs> you were getting in trouble. Yeah, you're gonna get in trouble for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah you're time off or something like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, because I've heard people they've gotten in trouble because we have like a GPS, and it's not always the fastest way. And somebody actually got got in trouble for not following, you know, that GPS. And they they even said this isn't the fastest way to get there. Right. You know. So. That's yeah. the hard thing. I think you know back in the day we more used to like rely on actual physical maps and your kind of knowledge of the neighborhood. And now that we have the GPS inside the ambulance and like on our little MDT, it's kind of wacky. Like sometimes you'll put in, you know, the hospital give you the closest hospital and you're like, yeah, that's not a thing, you know, because you're like the closest hospital is actually a different hospital because I could be there in seven minutes as opposed to the one that they're telling me where it would be like, 11 minutes and you know maybe mileage wise it's closer but like i'm gonna be zigzagging through the streets and this and that like it's much easier for me to just go somewhere else so and for you, you know. guys especially but i mean you they're not taking in consideration traffic oh yeah you know so yeah you might have a more direct route going you know route a but then you have a ton of traffic you know versus you doing a little zigzag and doing what's best to uh, you know, actually get where you got to go and, and meet less resistance. So that's always the thing too at like time of day because our shift starts at five p.m. and it, didn't we like a few months ago we got like a they had questioned why it took us you know whatever fifteen minutes to get somewhere that our estimated time of arrival should have been like eleven minutes and I was like you do realize it takes us like eight minutes to go two blocks during five p.m. rush hour traffic you know like it's not like we're just hanging out like it's we're literally sitting in traffic like there's no way to go you know that's it you know you know the thing is what bothered me though was the the, the just the name the term in which you're using estimated time of arrival it's estimated yeah. it's not exact yeah, yeah. exactly yep so I mean, you know, come on now. There's, you know, I, I've I, I sit here and as we're talking about this, 
I could think of a run that uh, that my girlfriend went on, and it was a high-profile run. So, of course, um, it was a young girl who was shot. And I can't remember the situation of why she got shot, but she got shot in the neck. And right. she was – and this was on the far east side. And uh, they were coming from at least a good 10, 12 miles away. Oh. And, and once again, it's during, like, rush hour traffic. Mm. So what do you do? Do you take the freeway and get caught in traffic? Exactly. Or you, There's nowhere to get out. Right. And yeah. it became an issue, and they, you know, they put them through the ringer because uh, it was a high-profile run. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember her telling me about the run, and she, you know, it's one of those that she remembers vividly yeah. as the girl such a sweetheart even though she's you know she's injured you know she's critically injured but she was yeah. you know, really friendly and sweet to her when she got there yeah. I say the the uh, bystanders and family weren't too happy that it took them so long but you know things happen and yeah. you know it was the wrong time of day and you know and unfortunately it happened to her you know just uh, it <laughs> well he said they wanted answers yeah and, and you know things things got smoothed over and and nobody uh, got reprimanded. You know you couldn't really reprimand them because like you said, once you sit down and look at the facts, and you know and you realize, okay, yeah, there was no easy way to get to her, yeah. and they're coming distance. And but they want somebody to put the blame on, you know, and it's you have to, you know, of course, of course, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it happens, and it's it's just the nature of the beast, you know, the nature of our our uh, our work is that we overcome all these obstacles you know and it's just sometimes they're easier to overcome sometimes they you know they aren't so easy so you always end sure. up making it happen you know what i mean like even yeah. always make it happen with a low number of units mm -hmm. you know like we're still going to answer all these calls and i'm like well you know since they're answering all these calls why put on more units you know yeah. so we manage with this many units if we can do this then yeah we don't need we don't need to spend yeah. the money yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Somebody's got to be, uh, somebody's got to be a little more, uh, I don't know what term I want to use, just more proactive and less reactionary, yeah. you know, yeah. react. Yep. Okay? Yep. And, uh, and that, that was a problem with the city of Detroit in terms of, well, in terms of everything, but in, <laughs> in, specific, in terms of EMS, we would go through that, that on a regular basis. The mentality was just like, oh, they would react to, you know, complaints, they would react to situations, you know, unfortunate situations, instead of in advance trying to, to trying to, you know, create a situation where the city, you know, had an optimal amount of units, and wouldn't have to worry about people dying. No, we're not going to do that. You know, we, we, you manage with this many units, you manage this uh, uh, equipment, and, and we're going to continue to do that. Yeah. So. And it's unfortunate because ultimately that's the kind of stuff that like puts everybody's lives at risk. I, I mean, it puts the people of Detroit in this sort of, you know, unfortunate position where if they actually require an ambulance, they might have to wait. They may yeah. not have the people coming. And then it puts the people who are actually doing the job at a disadvantage because, you know, you're, you're working with less. You are going to these jobs where people might be angry at you, might be unsafe. Um, and you're, you're working really hard, you know, like it's, it's really unfortunate that the higher ups and I, I don't, I feel like that's Detroit, certainly. And it's kind of like a lot of cities across the board. Unfortunately, yeah. I think for you folks, you had like quite a bit of, uh, of issues, <laughs> you know, Detroit yeah. specifically had like yeah. some real issues, you know, Yeah, a lot of mismanagement, you know, misappropriation, 
corruption. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, we could talk about this forever. Yeah, and this is like you know, I looked at some of these suburbs, and I'm like, man, they're so lucky. Look at this equipment they have. You know, and the amount of equipment they have, it's like, we've never been there. That's why I always, it always comes down to the mentality. Like I said, you know, it's not that we're great at what we do. It's just that we're great at improvisation. You know, we yeah. figure out how to do things and get it done. So it always comes right, right back around to that. So that's not, that's not a bad, thing. A bad you know, thing. I do think it sort of makes people, you know, when you're sort of struggling with things, you have to kind of like figure out ways to make things work for you and, and, you know, so you don't have the most fancy equipment or the most luxurious ambulances or, mm -hmm. you know, but you, you still make it work, you know, like you, it causes a different part of your mind to sort of activate and figure it out, you know, and. Well, that's, that's when, when it comes back to what we were discussing, I think before we, uh, before we went on, we went live here and uh, like I was. Uh, referred to your videos and learning little tips here and there you know you you out of necessity you know you learn this stuff and yeah you you, you become good at improvisation out of necessity you know and uh and there's, there's something to be said to that for that you know yeah. it, you don't get complacent because you're always thinking okay what's the best way to get this done we don't have what we need but we have what we have yeah. and yeah it's uh it makes you a stronger person and i think uh those skills um, you know, translate to, uh, you know, other fields, whether you, whether you stay in the field of EMS, get into nursing or whatever the case may be that those attributes, those positive attributes will go a long way, you know, to yeah. carry a career anywhere else, you know, even if it's not in the medical field, you know, it's just, um, you have a certain calm about yourself, you know, while, while other people are either panicking or, or, you know, anxious, have a, a, you know, having issues with their job and you're like, okay, you just don't even realize, you know, some people don't have it as good as you have the equipment you have, have the opportunities, have, you know, support, you know, and, and yeah, so it's just, you, you realize that it's, it's a good thing, even though it's you know, under negative circumstances, you make the best of it and makes you a better person, I think. And you so. appreciate stuff when you get new stuff. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, oh, we got, we got we got new uh, you know blue bags you know we use uh -huh. our jump bag we'd call it a blue bag it was just okay. because of blue you know yeah. that was what for years and uh, uh, you're like oh we got new stuff you know it could be the simplest <laughs> equipment uh -huh. but pro because you haven't had anything new for so long yeah. and, you know you're done with what you've done for so long so yeah it's pathetic in a way you know yeah. Yep. Little, little we, just thing. Got, we just got LED handles for our lensoscopes, and that was like, wow. And people were like, wait, you didn't have that? Like, no. Oh my gosh. And they are so bright. Yeah. I, it's like, yeah, like wow. I feel like shocked by that because, you know, for the longest time, we just kind of made sure our light bulb was working. And, you know, sometimes, light, it, was, yeah, sometimes it was dim, but like it was still working. And then when we finally switched to LED, I was like, oh my God, I can light my whole house with this, like this tiny little bulb. <laughs> can light you know 50 feet ahead of me yeah. i was shocked by how amazing it was you know yeah funny because i wouldn't even know what one looks like i've never had one of them <laughs> i mean nice. the, yeah the ball like, is similar but can you tube them like you can see it through their throat <laughs> wow it's pretty yeah. impressive. like oh you can actually yeah. see what you're doing you yeah. know yeah. you don't have a flashlight you can grab this thing you know yeah. what's funny 
I, my one time I remember having to improvise because my laryngoscope, whether it was the batteries went dead or the ball burnt out or whatever, and I'm trying to innovate a person, I'm like, oh, great, this is perfect, you know, perfect timing. So I had my plastic stream light, you know, which is, you know, about what, a foot and a half long, and I, I, I've got it in my mouth, and I'm into <laughs> distance here, and it works. I mean, I yeah. got the perfect, you know, but uh, yeah, wow, LED. Mm. Yeah, that's I know. And I now they like, have like the, the ones that are like on the cameras, so you don't have to get in there. So like on right. a, one guy has them on a tablet and like on the side and just. That is. Yeah. I don't know if we'll ever get that, but uh, yeah. those are pretty cool, you know. And you can record it, like when you mess up, like you can see like you missing the chords and everything. Wow. <laughs> you <can go> <laughs> You're talking about this stuff, and I feel prehistoric now. It's wow. all right. <laughs> so do I, though. I'm like, no. this is pretty advanced, you know. Yeah, but it goes back to that, what I was saying, you know, these suburbs, um, you know, they have smaller, um, smaller communities yeah. and whether or not they're using uh, uh, grants to get their equipment and, you know, they can have some of the most advanced stuff and it's like, I'm jealous, yeah. you know, yeah. I'd love to have that kind of stuff. I know, but you also got to remember, like, they're only running, you know, maybe five units, yeah. you know, yeah. so like us, I think it's like 800 units, you know. Wow. Yeah. This is, I'm sitting here talking about 500 runs in a day, and it's, you know, for us, you know, yeah. for the right, that's a lot in a 24-hour yeah. period. But, yeah, for New York, wow. Mm -hmm. Man, that is an amazing number. The logistics alone is just amazing it, for, to me. It, it's, it's an amazing and interesting system. Like, to see the dispatch alone, mm -hmm. really neat. So, to see dispatch and the police side, it's... Yeah, it's it's awe striking to see it. Lots of moving parts. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. Like I told you, I definitely after the talk to you last night, I'm like, oh, that's definitely on my bucket list. Yeah. Go to arrive in in New York. Yeah. Definitely it's, want to do that. Yeah. Cool. Yep. So, so yeah, we're kind of going to Detroit. <laughs> that's like, I know. Definitely before it gets too gentrified, we're coming. <laughs> eh, well, you know, still it'll be an experience. Mm -hmm. but, Everybody's gonna move out there from Brooklyn, so they're not uh -huh. gonna be able to afford it. So. Right, they're coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, happening to Detroit. It happens everywhere, so you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Jim, when did you retire from Detroit EMS? Uh, November of 2015. You know. Okay. Yeah. Were you Feel looking forward to it, or? Oh, absolutely! And I tell you what, um, in that last year, uh, the closer it got. It seemed like it was the further it seemed, it further away it seemed, hmm. because constantly coming up to you. So how many, how many more days you got left? And yeah. one day, you know, so they, you never, they never let you forget. And it's, and it's, yeah. you know, it's, and it's, you know, no fault of theirs. It's just uh, you don't want to think about it because you just want the time to fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm down to six months. So I'm down to five months and 28 days. It's every day, yeah. same thing. Hmm. Yeah. But uh, I, I really looked forward to it. I, I felt like I was really accomplishing something. Um, and now it's just like, if I had to go back, I don't think I could do it. I don't, you know, it, it took a, a specific mindset and to keep that mindset was even harder. But once, once I, once I was done, my mind and body, you know, I was nah. done with it. Yeah. So great, greatest, greatest. Of my life. I, I agree. And I think like, 
I think it's one of those things work in EMS where it's really exciting. You get to be part of something that's like real that a lot of people are not part of and, and mm -hmm. privy to, but it requires you almost keep this like mindset going 24 seven. And I know, I, you know, I had a kid and I was out for almost four years when I had my son and it was a little hard to get back into it because it's like that kind of mindset was gone. You know, I had become like, a non-EMS person, you know, maybe for the first year or so after being out of work, it was like I was still on that level. But after a while, like Peter could probably tell you, when I first came back and I was his partner, I was a mess. <laughs> I mean, a, a total mess, you know? So it, it's sort of like you have to like have your mind in this different kind of realm, which is a lot to keep up with, I think. Oh, um, you're absolutely right. It is. And uh, once I retired, and I went full time <laughs> once. Yeah, I retired from one job to go full time at my second job. And, uh, but like I said, it was a different, it was at different, uh, you know, different speed, you know, doing special events and providing first aid was nothing like being, you know, out on the streets. So I was able to do it. But, uh, you know, they, they asked me to work the road <laughs> uh, pretty frequently because they're so shorthanded. And wow. I just, I can't bring myself to do it on most occasions, you know, because it's just that, you know, you have to have your mind in that specific, you know, yeah. spot, you know, and you have to, you have, to, it has to be something that's, that's just perpetual. And once you retire, once you don't have to do it anymore, man, you let that stuff go. And so you said, it's not immediate, but it does happen. And then to get back to that spot is, it's feels like it's almost impossible, yeah. but uh, yeah. Yeah. So four years off, man. Yeah, it's, it's about probably where I'm at right now. Like I said, I'm still in touch with uh, some of the stuff that I used to do, but nowhere near it, nowhere near to that same degree. And uh, if I had to go back to work, yeah, I'd, I'd be miserable. I'd be absolutely miserable. Because it's like um, when I do find myself in a situation where I'm responsible for, you know, if there is an emergency, I'm constantly thinking, oh man, this, I can see, I can just imagine the worst possible scenario is coming my way, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so you, I spend that whole shift, you know, on edge and I just got yeah. this, that you're thinking, okay, you know, something's going to happen. And it's like I said, worst case scenario. And you know, you're, you, and you're setting yourself up there for, for, uh, I don't want to say set myself up for disaster, but you're just setting yourself up for this, this negativity that's, you know, most people be like, why are you, why, are, why do you think the worst thing is going to happen? Why do you think you're going to have the worst run? Yeah. It's just anything possible. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think you kind of, it's like you end up stressing yourself like way oh. more than you need to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my first year back on the street after having my son, we did have kind of a rough year. There were a lot of weird things that happened on the ambulance, but I felt like I spent a lot of time like worrying myself about like horrible jobs that I could potentially get, you know, and like, yeah. Yeah, after a while, it kind of became back, you know, par for the course where you just like take each job as it comes and you don't really worry about what it'll be. But I spent a lot of time worrying, like, what's this going to be? What's this going to be? What's this going to be? You know, and every day was this kind of like, ah, this like high pitched anxiety of like, what's that's the next exactly. job going to hold for me? And, you know, it's, that's not really a great way to live, <laughs> you know? No. And I think uh, people don't realize, you know, uh, you know, I think people are starting to really realize it now, but uh, it, the, the PTSD that you get from this job and any other job, I mean, it, this is, this is not the end all be all, but 
you know, most jobs have some sort of stressor that, that uh, people necessarily can't handle. And over time it does affect them. Yeah. So, but, but in the field of EMS, I mean, we're, that's basically what we do. We're at, we're, we're called people are having their worst moment, you know, mm-hmm. most times that we do go, it's something very stressful. I and, think even the nonsense beats you up too. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Going to that, you know, like I try to make a game out of it. You know, like when we keep getting cold for like dumb stuff, it uh, is entertaining. I find sheer enjoyment in it a lot of times. And I'm just like, wow. But if you, it's, you have to get to that point where you just realize it's just another job. Don't get mad at it. And just yeah. keep it moving. You know, because yeah. being angry yeah. at people just burns you out, man. You just reminded me of something. I remember, and you do have to make things, in, may, whether you make it into a game or, or, or just do things to, you know, try, you know, ease your mind about it. I remember one year I would take all the gloves that I would wear if it was a, a say if we got canceled on the run yeah. or if it was a transport and you didn't make patient contact and I made a ball hmm. and the ball just kept getting bigger just like you take a snowball and roll it in and make yeah. it hmm. so I kept that ball and oh, really? on the truck and like I said every day it would grow <laughs> and it's like you know, it's like almost like having a pet rock. People are like, "Why are you doing that?" It was just something. It was just something to do with the gloves. I don't know. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's cool. That's an interesting one. I know. Yeah, we have people that collect ketchup, and they collect ketchup in the glove box. Like, yeah, it's the, it's the mind. The mind works in mysterious ways, right? Mm-hmm. You do crazy things, and and maybe a psychologist could tell you why. I don't know. Yeah, but. Yeah. It, it, Help me through the day, you know. That's fun. That's, how big did your ball get? Do you still have it? No, no. Throw it at somebody. <laughs> throw it at somebody when I retired. When I was like, "Why am I doing this?" and I ended up throwing it away. Aww. But it got it got to be about almost a foot in diameter. Wow. <laughs> but it didn't take too long to get that big either. Uh, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, I can't remember what year. I should have. I probably should have put a label on it, and I should have kept it just for yeah. you know, for for keepsakes. But uh, wow, yeah, that's kind of weird. Now that I think, about it. <laughs> but you know what? I could see. I feel like there's times where, like, we go on a job and I put my gloves on. Like most times, I don't put my gloves on unless I know it's like a, an active cardiac arrest or whatever, where I'm gonna need to like act immediately. I just kind of like wait on it a little while, and then when we get into someone's home or wherever we're going, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is gonna need gloves. I start putting them on. And like, so when I don't need them, I'm like, ah, like I wasted my gloves, you know? Yeah. And I get like, yeah. so kind of like, Ugh. and it's just a, a silly thing that I can replace easily enough. But like, I always like to have a certain, you know, amount of gloves with me. So, oh, absolutely. you know, oh, if I, I could see like taking those and like doing something with them that feels like a little more productive than just tossing mm-hmm. unused gloves in a garbage, you know? Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what I thought. I wish I could remember why I, I uh, rationalized that it was important to do. But uh, yeah, and you're right. You know, you sit here and think, you know, I'm not a wasteful person. I don't want to just keep throwing gloves away, you know, uh, even though I'm not the one purchasing them, but it's still yeah. you're a responsible person and you're doing something with them. So yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah, because yeah, we get our gloves from like two certain hospitals that we really like. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we get a box, sometimes we don't. And um, hold on. I'm sorry. I see like children in the background. <laughs> oh. oh. 
So wait a minute, you guys, uh, your your supplies or equipment that comes comes from the hospitals? No, no. Technically, oh, our equipment comes from the department, and okay. they have gloves that. You know, it's funny, like years ago, we had gloves that were thick, and oh, I liked gosh. them. They were nice, and now we have gloves that are thick, but they don't feel as comfortable. So I prefer the ones that like these two hospitals in our area have. So I always, when I go to that hospital, as oh, I'm like, like I, yeah, I'm like triaging. I'm like taking the gloves and like rolling them up and putting them away. And uh, you know. <laughs> and then every now and again, we get like a trip to one of the veterans hospitals, and they have the best. They have really nice gloves. They're like super nice, and yeah. they have like aloe and everything, and. So I try wow. to get as many, <laughs> as many, but those are the ones that if I take it out and I realize like, oh, I'm not going to need to touch the person. I like roll those back up and put them away. Cause I'm like, oh, those are precious, huh? yeah. yeah, those are precious. I'm not throwing those out. Those are a hot commodity. So, you know, I remember, uh, I remember, yeah, we, we always used to get the cheapest of gloves. I mean, sometimes they were really difficult to put on. They were, they weren't vinyl. They weren't rubber gloves. I can't remember. They were like true vinyl. And trying to get them to fit, you know, you tear more. It to yeah. You would always appropriate gloves from the hospitals, you know. And, and of course, you know, we didn't have any kind of program with the hospital where, you know, you get a box of gloves or yeah. whatever. We, we could get from the hospitals were sea uh, collars, sea collars, oh. bug boxes and stuff. Um, so, yeah, so you're you're putting a month under like a sheet or something like that and trying to wheel the stretcher out. And <laughs> I just remember there was uh, there was a, a a charge nurse at Detroit Receiving Hospital, which is our our like you know biggest trauma center in Detroit. And I remember this charge nurse when she was on duty, she didn't miss a thing. You know, you're stretcher out, and you're thinking you're hiding this box of gloves, and she's like, "Hey, hey, what do you got up under there?" And oh my gosh! I could never get past her. She'd always uh. catch gloves and she you know she was she was a she was kind of a hard ass but she was a nice she just knew she had to be tough yeah and yeah so it was always like damn one of these days I'm gonna get <laughs> I know they there are some of them that act like you're you're taking something from their personal uh yeah. closet like yeah. you have like one more sheet or or you'll be like oh hey is there a sheet closet and they're like oh it's locked up give me your sheet and you're like can I right. just can I just get a sheet and they're like no no, no one for one it's yeah. like, okay, I get it. You know, I'm not trying to steal 20 sheets, but, uh, yeah. It's funny that because Henry Ford Hospital, they, it was kind of a one for one deal. And they had this one guy, uh, one security police officer, and I couldn't even remember his name, saved my life. But uh, he didn't really fit in. He was a very large guy and just, he looked like he was about to keel over at any time. <laughs> but we used to call him the sheet sheriff because <laughs> he he was the only one around that would make a big deal if you took a couple extra sheets or whatever. You know, he'd come oh over a stretcher and yeah, he, we just, uh, we called him the sheet sheriff cause that was his big thing. You know, it was his pet peeve, I guess. So mm. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, the same shit everywhere. Yeah. It's the same shit. Like I heard a fight this this one, one crew, they took like a pile of sheets and the nurse is like, yo, why are you, why are you taking so many sheets? And he's like, what do you care? They're not your sheets. And she's like, you have a whole, like a stack of sheets. Like, right. like yo, if you take two or three, I don't care. She's like, but you have a pile of sheets. Yeah. yeah. You don't do and, stuff like that. You know, yeah. it might be, it might be something that you're like, oh, I realize I don't have any sheets on my bus. So I'll take one for my stretcher and I'll take 
you know, two to put in the ambulance and right. maybe a blanket because it's cold mm -hmm. out or whatever. But mm -hmm. you're not going to take like 20 sheets because then that makes you a jerk. You yeah. know, like you just yeah. take what you need. Like it's not a, it's not free for all, you know. Yeah. And turn it into like a whole brawl. Maybe they're building a fort back at the firehouse or whatever. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. And I mean, you know, sometimes we do replace them with a couple because like, you know, we have a lot of homeless folks in New York and, mm. um, and actually like in the last like couple of years, it seems, it seems to have gotten a lot worse where there's like people who are legitimately on the street, like not in the shelters. So it's like in the winter, we tend to give a lot of sheets out just because it's like, you know, let's like, mm. let's pass these along because we have them. But then you end up at the end of the tour and you're like, ah, we got no sheets, you know? Like, Do you so, guys have a blanket saga? You know what? I was going to bring that up. <laughs> it was done. Yeah. Yeah. You got to hear this one. This was a, <laughs> I'd get in trouble because I get blankets out a lot. Yeah. He, uh, it was one of those situations where the person was, you know, in need of a blanket and we are issued like two wool blankets on each truck. And he, you know, the guy needed something. So he gave it to him and he got reprimanded and uh, they wanted to give him a set of charges for that. What? It, it got to be a big deal. And he, he actually went on the news and, yeah. and then, then these other people in, in um, uh, not from Detroit EMS, but from other agencies uh, got involved. And next thing you know, they had like this blanket drive mm. down at, uh, at the city county, not the city county building, it was at the fire headquarters. And uh, yeah, we were all down there. People were dropping off piles of brand new blankets, used blankets. Oh, oh wow. it was it was a big issue, and it was just yeah, it it made national news. And it's just like wow, over blankets. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know what? I mean, it seems so ridiculous, but thank goodness it kind of went that far because yeah. it is sort of ridiculous. Like if, like when my first job ever, ever as like a teenager when I was fifteen was at McDonald's. And I literally had my boss yell at me in front of customers about giving too many napkins away. And he brought me to tears. I mean, I was like a 15 year old. It was my first job. And uh, the two women who I was helping were like, he's a dick. Fuck that guy. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I was so upset because it was like, this is my first job. I just got yelled at, yelled at me in front of people. And I, I feel like I get that we can't just be giving away equipment, but it's not like you're giving away a stretcher. Like, here, you need a bed, buddy. Here you go. You know, right. if you're giving someone a blanket because they're, like, out in the street and it's friggin' freezing in Detroit, like, right. that should be the end of it, you know? Or you say, okay, well, I got to go, so give me my blanket back. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. What did you do? Did you, like, wash them? You know, uh, like... it, They would take our blankets and they would send them out to one of the prisons that was in the city okay. and have them laundered that way. And, uh, but the thing is, after that, um, we had truckloads of, of brand new blankets that were donated. Yeah. I mean, they, we had tons of blankets. I mean, you could <laughs> you probably literally give one to every person in the city of Detroit. They had that many. Wow. And it, yeah, because people realize, yeah, I mean, people are going to need this stuff. Yeah. And you can't have that mindset that, oh, no, you can't have this. You know, this is for our trucks only, you know you got to show a human side you know of and course mm -hmm. and i think ultimately i get that you know there is dollars and cents built yeah. into any business but the reality is our business as providers is to help people and advocate for our patients mm -hmm. and i think handing someone a blanket because they're cold is patient advocacy you know yeah. it's like it's pretty ridiculous like i don't i don't personally i mean i know i'm supposed to care about like 
get in people's insurance information and all this other stuff. But like the, at the end of the day, the reality is my job is to do patient care. So, you know, it's not really my job to track people down to try and bill them for, you know, the services I'm doing. And I don't really care much about that aspect. I mean, I know that it's part of it, but that's not really like my thing. So, you know, giving someone a, a blanket, I don't know. It's just, it's, and you know, and the thing is those higher ups, uh, you know, they forget that, yeah, they are just a part of the same machine, you know, you know, there's another cog to, that's supposed to keep things moving and provide services for your, you know, your, for the public, for the general public and the citizens of the city you're working for. It isn't just your job to, to oversee what you do. They're responsible just as much as you are, yeah, you know, yeah. and, you know, if they're forgetting that, then I guess something like this is, is a true reminder of that, you know, so, you know, made them look petty, you know. Of but, course, yeah. Yeah. Because it is, you know, yeah. like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, hell, I mean, if you, you get into this field of work, you uh, you like helping people. And in most cases, you'd probably want to give them the shirt off your back if you could. Yeah. You know, you know to give up a blanket is, is, is nothing, you know. But, you know, he said so. Yeah. And, and then this situation blowing up into what it did become was I was definitely necessary for those you know that, that uh, are in charge you know the, the penny pinchers the you know the bean counters or whatever you know for them to see that yeah we do have to account for some you know human aspect yeah, yeah. And, you know where, where would we be if we didn't we are supposed to be in the field of helping people and helping other human beings yeah. so this you know is a, is a it's a cold it's a cruel reminder but it's you know it helped yeah. it worked and you know, I was I was surprised. You did your homework. You looked that up, huh? I know. I, I I'm a I'm a bit of a dork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Facebook stalked Kelly. That's how I got Kelly. So yeah. I've seen that years before, and I was like, when we started a podcast, I'm like, I'm gonna get her on our podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. She's Facebook a good person. She is a good person. Did you know she helps? Uh, I mean, she she did a lot of work with uh, helping with dogs, stray dogs, yeah. and she still does. So yeah. yeah, it's you know people in this in this line of work. It, it's there's you know some really good people. There's some people that may have gone astray and forgot why they're here. But yeah, we have a lot of good people. You know that, that want to help people and help help their fellow man. You know so yeah. yep. you know. Um, so we've been going for an hour. So oh, we're gonna, yeah. So we're gonna refill. Our, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll get okay. back with Jim. So I'll on. be here. 